Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. And well, we certainly have some fabulous action to look back on. Some really entertaining action at the shootout, as well as looking ahead to... Uh, some tournaments to come. Phil, good day. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm very good. And well, the shootout. We we said before that you don't really get bored. We weren't bored for a minute, were we? What 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 fun that was. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um it's something to look forward to, isn't it? Something different. Um there's so many great tournaments on the calendar, but I mean, a lot of them can sort of blur into one sometimes, especially with a packed calendar so much. So it really does stand out on its own as a unique event. And yeah, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I always really enjoy it. And this time was no different. And generally speaking, uh, how are your square eyes? Because like most sports fans in Britain, we have uh, feasted on, a, on what turned out to be an absolute jamboree of live sport, wasn't it? And uh, I must remember... You know, I'm, I'm drumming this into myself as, as much as you or anybody else. We we have a mostly UK audience, but we mustn't be too Brit-centric. And just to say for some of our international uh, listeners, there was an, a very unusual occurrence of a cricket test match, uh, an England test match overseas, being live on free-to-air television. And it still hasn't finished, actually, yet. It's still one day to go as we're recording this. And in fact, it's the first ever entire overseas test to be live. So we had that, we had the start of the Six Nations, we had some cracking football, the Super Bowl, which certainly kept me up till preposterous o'clock uh, last night. And uh, what I'm getting at is, Bill, that our dear beloved Bayes game had to, had to fight for its share, didn't it? Which it did very well, but 
God, that was a, that was a feast and a half of sport, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I, I managed to watch nearly all the shootouts. I was pleased with myself there, despite some, as you say, some early starts for the test matches, test match. Um, I was getting up at sort of six, six o'clock in the morning for that. Watched even a bit of USC in there as well. So there was even more than you just mentioned. Um, but yeah, really great weekend. And uh, the shootout didn't let us down. It certainly didn't. And one man it certainly did not let down is uh, Ryan Day, who made a welcome return to winning ways for him. A first ranking tournament in three years. And it's far too long for a player of his of his quality, isn't it, Phil? We know he can do it in conventional snooker. And OK, you know, I'm going to blow your trumpet for you here because I know I know how humble you are. But you did identify, didn't you, in the early stages that I think your words were he fits the profile of a shootout winner. And it proved that he had just the, the, the right qualities, the right temperament. And uh, in the end, was a, was a very good winner, wasn't he? Yeah, I think I think I said tweeted that out after his first round win. He beat, beat Matt Sell 70 um, odd to nil and uh, looked very comfortable, looked very assured. And yeah, I think it's not all the time, but shootout winners tend to be sort of experienced, sort of mid-ranking, somewhere between 20 and 50 in the rankings, um, know what they're doing, they've been around a while, um, and maybe maybe it just means a bit more to them than it does higher-ranked players. That's maybe why you not know, had um, a winner who's been in the top 16 at the time, maybe, to know. Um, but yeah, he did look, he just looked on it from that first match, and I know things can change very quickly in a shootout without you doing anything wrong, but yeah, did look good. And yeah, you're right, um, He's the kind of player that should be winning more often. And, you know, I guess three ranking of a title sounds not that bad for his career, but um, number 50 in the world, if it got mentioned a lot over the weekend, he's not the 50th best player in the world. He's much better than that. Very hard to name 49 better players than Ryan Day. So, um, yeah, I think he jumped up to number 32 after that win. So that's that's more like it. And he should be a bit higher than that, I think. And he was very candid, actually you know, afterwards, uh, talking about the sort of fine margins in this sport, with any sport really, but we're particularly focusing on snooker here, about how, you know, potentially could have even dropped off the tour if results hadn't gone his way. And yet here he is in the winner's circle again. And, you know, Jimmy White actually, I think on Eurosport, made an interesting point. He lost that 4-0 lead to Barry Hawkins, didn't he? Mm. Only recently. And it it would have been like, well, the opposite of cloud nine. He'd have felt awful after that but here he is arrives at an event which is uh you know unpredictable by its nature but now you know he can really look forward to getting right again up and up, you know amongst it again now and you know he he's a very humble guy really isn't he uh, Ryan I mean I think they might have used that cloud nine phrase and I think I joked saying you know there's not many people that look less like they're on cloud nine yeah. than he's very much a feet on the ground type but you know, he was very, very pleased, you know, in a, in a sort of his own down-to-earth way. And, you know, I think, you know, he he mentioned there might be a, a bit of a, a financing of a hot tub uh, at <laughs> home. So uh, pleased about that. And I'm sure we're, we're all pleased with Ryan and, and family on that score. But, you know, interesting to say, I know we'll get into the, the old ranking, ranking event. I, I think it's fair to say both winner and runner-up, Mark Selby, uh, were pretty much joining the ranks in saying it shouldn't be a, a ranking event, but it is, it adds to his tally. And, you know, you think now 
Ryan could potentially have a really strong end of the season. Let's hope so, because when he's when he's in the balls and when he's firing, he's a lovely player to watch. Yeah, definitely. I always think um, he looks great. Um, I'm surprised he's, he goes on runs of uh, poor results, but obviously everyone does. Just been the last season and a half, or this season, last season, because the season before that, I was looking at his results. A load of quarterfinals, certainly the form of someone who'd be in the top 16. Um, it's sort of gone a bit pear-shaped since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy, you know, he's not a random guy to be in the champion of champions. No one will looking forward to playing him if he's on form in that, in, even in that company. Um, so yeah, he could, he could easily go on a bit of a run now. And um, ideal to be heading to the Welsh Open next. You know, he'll be fully motiv- motivated for that coming off this win. Um, so yeah, it, it should be the only way he's up from, from now. He's only 40, so he's got plenty of time left in the game. Life begins at 40 in snooker, doesn't it now, Phil? Goodness, you know. Uh, and and uh, a long way beyond. If Nigel Bond can beat Judd Trump at the UK, then, then Ryan Day could still have lots of, lots of good years left. A word about, um, well, Mark Williams and Mark Selby. Mark Williams getting to the last four, Mark Selby to the final. I, I was really taken by Neil Folds, actually, saying, saying during it that he, he kind of liked the idea of a world champion winning it, which I, I really got that point, actually, because... To win in the sort of very, very long format, the longest format and the shortest, really shows you've got those complete skills that you need as a snooker player. Obviously, Mark Selby had a sort of funny time where he he kept sort of getting in in matches and didn't really make enough points. But then he showed his sort of, you know, classic Selby canny sort of skills, really, to sort of get over the line. But didn't work against Ryan Day. He was first in with 20-odd, but then sort of made a, not a terrible mistake, but left Ryan Day with a red to middle and then credit to Ryan, he made 60-odd to win it. But I said I would come back to that, the old ranking event thing. I personally think it's quite a, quite a big deal that Mark had 11 ranking event final wins in a row. This has now ended that run and it, it does seem a bit of a shame to me that it's ended it by, by losing in this yeah, I mean, he'll certainly feel frustrated by that, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a ranking event, so there's no there's no point arguing that it doesn't count or anything, because it does. That That's just the way of it. Um, but yeah, he'll... I don't think he'll regret his decision to play in it because this has happened, because, you know, he's got 20 grand in his back pocket, so it's not the worst thing. But yeah, I mean, missing out on that record at any point will would annoy him, but... <laughs> This feels extra annoying, I imagine. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's not how anyone would have wanted to see that uh, that um, little tussle he had with Stephen Hendry end, I should think. But you know, it has, so we move on. Yeah, I mean, the the whole counting it. A lot of players have been asked uh, on social media and in interviews. You know, would you count this as a ranking event if you won it? It is. <laughs> People disagree with whether it should be or not. It is. So there isn't really any question whether you count it or not in my mind. And I noticed we, we discussed a bit before, we both noticed Sean Murphy saying on, on Twitter that he was one of those that thought, yes, it should be, because he thinks everything in snooker should count in that way. Mm. Um, I mean, my honest opinion is it shouldn't be, but I'll be more specific as to why that is. For me, I don't actually think it is the format, funnily enough. I think the format is sort of OK with regard to it being a ranking event. Maybe I'm wrong there with that thinking, but for me, it's more the crowd, actually, which I know wasn't relevant this time. But I just don't honestly see how you can have 
you know, something that counts for ranking points when you've got people, you know, screaming, hollering, you know, who let the dogs out, ooh, ooh, and all that sort of business, you know, yellow. And, you know, it's, it's more of a sort of, I mean, the Friday, Saturday night crowd, I mean, I've never been, I've only watched it on television, but it's a proper bear pit. And you think, well, you know, without coming over as a, as a fuddy-duddy, because I enjoy the shootout, and, and actually, funny enough, I think the fashion's turned a bit, and I think now that most people kind of quite like it, and it's almost become de rigueur to say you like it, and maybe it's more unfashionable now to say you don't like it. So I think that the popularity of the event isn't in question, but the ranking event thing clearly is. And yeah, for me, it's a crowd issue. I know not relevant this year, but yeah, that's that's where I'd stand on it. But as you say, it is. Um, I would say it's one of the mistakes of the Barry Hearn era. There haven't been many for me, but the actual fun of the event is not in question. And in funny, in some ways, I think it goes from strength to strength, Phil. And actually, it gets a little bit more fun and a little bit more entertaining almost every year. Yeah, and then I think maybe maybe that's why they don't want to change it back. Because it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much as well as much as some people seem it seems to bother. You know, it get almost every every interview or every message that's written on anywhere about the shootout has to, even if someone's saying I'm enjoying it, but it shouldn't be a ranking event. And the players get interviewed after they win and they say yeah, good. Yeah, I don't think it should really be a ranking event. You know, people are so obsessed with it, um, which you know, I'd, I'm not. I mean, I'm happy to sit and watch it, whether it's a ranking event or not. I just really enjoy it. But I suppose you know, if it is that point where sort of nine, I was going to say ninety plus percent, but it's probably ninety nine percent of people don't think it should be a ranking event and feel so strongly about it that they have to mention it in every conversation about the shootout. And, you know, may, maybe the guys in charge should be listening to that because there are reasons why they do it, um, you know, to attract the best players and, and so forth. Well, that's the main one, really. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a dictatorship. And if, if 99% of the people involved in snooker, whether they're players or fans or whatever, don't want it, don't want something to happen, then I guess maybe they should be listening to them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as I say, it doesn't bother me that much either way. Um the whole, the whole ranking, non-ranking event in Snook is just a funny one, isn't it? Because it's about prestige and stuff. You know, it should this one hasn't got the prestige to be a ranking event. But then, you know, some of the most prestigious tournaments in the game aren't ranking events in their Masters. Champion of Champions now is in top five for some people, isn't it? So um, it's a funny old debate. Um, I, I like I like the stories behind someone like Holt winning it last year. Day bouncing back up the rankings this year with it. So I, I do like that side of it, but you know, I guess, yeah, as I say, a consensus, and it's not 52-48, it's really is the vast majority of people don't think it should be a ranking event, so maybe the guys in charge should be listening. I can't think of any big important votes that have been 52-48. I'm not sure I got that number from. None come to mind, but maybe, funny enough, it's, and we'll probably leave this behind, you're quite right to say it's it's been done to death a little bit, Um but maybe that's the catch-22 that I've said it's sort of grown in entertainment and I've really got into it more the last three or four years. But maybe even subconsciously without realising it, I'm doing that more because I know it's a ranking event. And that's kind of, in many ways, increased quite how much it means. And maybe before it didn't have that quite that luster when a player won it. I don't know. Um, but I've scribbled down here, good, good fun, which... Um, I think it's an all-encompassing way of, of, of talking about the shootout. I mean, 
we had some bizarre drama, didn't we? So, I mean, so many weird things happen. I mean, Mark Williams comes straight to mind with that last scarf shot. I think, I think the ball hit the pocket after the, the buzzer had gone, but I think he'd hit the yeah. shot before the buzzer had gone. That's how ridiculous it was. Um, and the flukes, I mean, you show me a snooker fan that says they don't like flukes, and I'll show you a fib of Phil. We all like flukes. Anyone that don't like flukes are the ones that are suffering at the wrong end of it yeah. that are playing. And we had some absolute beauties. I mean, the Martin O'Donnell one, I don't know if you saw that one, where the, 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 the cue ball was sort of tied up against a, a bunch of reds. He just smashed it. And like a lot of flukes, it wasn't just the red went in. He ended up perfectly on the colour and won his match. I mean... <laughs> You're going to get more flukes in this because players are playing more harem, scarem shots. They haven't got the time. They're just whacking the balls a lot more sometimes. But, yeah, I mean, talk about a good flukes reel. There must have been a good, let's say, half dozen, maybe even a dozen brilliant flukes. Yeah, they, they put together a top five, but there was certainly a lot more than that. And as you say, they're, they're different kinds of flukes than you normally get. Usually it's rattle off the jaws and slide along the pocket and go in another one. But these are just... I've got now on, I'm just going to smash it. <laughs> Louis Heathcote, Heathcote got one um, and he tweeted afterwards, if in doubt, give him a clout. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, it worked. That's great. <laughs> actually, that reminds me, actually, Alan McManus, I think it was in commentary, um, said, and I've heard this before, actually, that, that, that uh, the late and, uh, and, and very popular among, among uh, snooker fans of a certain vintage, Eddie Charlton, who, who apparently despised flukes. He couldn't bear them. He <laughs> didn't think they should count. And McManus made me laugh, actually, saying that, you know, he'd have, oh, he'd have, what he'd have thought of the shootouts of some of the flukes we, we saw, he would not have been happy. But, uh, of course, it's all part of the game. We do see an awful lot of this event. Um, we also saw controversy, of course, and uh, not only one or two bits, quite a few, actually. Rebecca Kenner comes to mind on the first afternoon because um, she fell victim to what was an unfortunate situation that both her and Simon Lichtenberg didn't hear the 10-second warning in the arena or the beeps. I think mm-hmm. I saw a couple of journalists call it beep gate on, the, on, on social media. But, you know, I spoke to Rebecca after that match as part of a Zoom interview and said, well, it just seems pretty unfair, really. And she was saying, well, life's not fair, which, of course, it isn't. But in this particular example, it just seemed a bit weird because I know the event is based all around speed. This might be a funny way of me saying it, but I just felt they could have taken a bit more time to kind of come to a a better solution, really. If if neither of the players heard it, how was that fair? But I don't know. There there seemed to be a few glitches. And I wonder whether I was was being a bit po-faced because I said, well, maybe one or two glitches too many for me. You know, it is a ranking event after all, but I don't know, these things happen, Phil. How did you see it? Yeah, it's tricky one. I didn't really, I was watching the game. I didn't really understand what's going on at first. I didn't know if she, they had happened and then she hadn't heard it, but apparently they just weren't being played. And yeah, it just seemed very unfair. And I mean, especially because the, the nature of this beast is that error, that, that's the end of the game for her, really, isn't it? You don't get to come back from that. And yeah, like you said, like you said, they could have, you know, they did They did speak about it with two of the refs, but um, I don't know, the, the refs are on the fly for this as well. You know, such such unique things happening there. So they've got, um, they've got no precedent to draw on, really, have they? They are just making up the rules sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I felt sorry for her, as I would have done if it happened to anyone. Um, and, yeah, there were a couple of other moments. I forget who was playing. I think it was Mark King. Um, 
I think he was playing Michael White, and White ran out of time and hit a shot just after the buzzer went. So he gave away the foul, but it obviously messed up the table um, and, was, and everything was in a completely different place and King wasn't happy with that at all. But there was nothing, they, they didn't do anything about that apart from giving the foul points. Um, so yeah, there are, there are some very unique situations that come up in this. And I guess until they come up, they don't come up with solutions and then they don't get on the fly. And hopefully, you know, if they happen again next year or in the future, hopefully they will know what to do. But whoever it happens first to just has to sort of lump it, really. No, that's a good way of saying it. Um, while I've sounded a potentially negative note there, let me say some positive things. That The continuing theme of this season and this situation during the pandemic is that snooker continues to do admirably. It's not alone. Other sports are doing the, doing it as well. But snooker was first out of the blocks. And it's, it's still a show for us at home watching on television. Not the show we'd ideally want, but still a show. And I liked the pattern this year, actually, of Eurosport doing the four matches live, then talking about it, then back to the action. I thought it was good presentation. I liked the way the players kept coming over to Andy Goldstein and the Eurosport team to be interviewed. I thought it was, you know, a good MC, you know, good commentary team. I like hearing some of the different players that feel. I know yeah. we've heard Mark Allen this year, uh, Sean Murphy. I know we've heard Sean before, but a few others as well. That's a nice touch. And it just adds to the feeling of it's a bit more relaxed, isn't it, than normal snooker, mm. frankly. And that, that sort of comes through. And that's, that's part of it's sort of, um, well, almost a USP of the event, isn't it? Yeah, I agree completely on the players popping. I thought um, Mark Allen's great. Murphy's good. Michael Holt popped in. Um, he was good. He was t- took no mercy. He asked Phil Stud for a very niche stat and he didn't know the answer. And he said, fail live on TV. So he was taking no prisoners, the hitman. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good, um, that's a good um, part of the tournament. Uh, the, the, match, uh, the interview is pretty in the middle of matches as well. So if you get the, you know, I was watching on the ad-free player on Eurosport. So the winner of the previous match will be on in the gap between the next one, if that makes sense. Rachel Casey interviews them. And yeah, that's all nice and relaxed. And the players seem um, to be very honest and open in those. And they were really good. Um, you know, there was Stephen saying how he, he's got a chance this year because he won't be pissed. That was nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those, uh, those interviews with the amateur players, you know, that was a real nice story of this one. Ian Martin going so far, Sean Harvey doing well. Yeah. Um, and then getting their, their moment not on, in the limelight, not only on the table, but obviously to do all their interviews as well. And they looked like they were loving it. So, yeah, that was that was a really good part of the presentation as well. Um, the only thing I thought was daft about the sort of the punditry team was Ronnie in the first couple of rounds looked like he could, he'd rather be anywhere else, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was the rocket on uh, full blast, but um, then Rianne came in in the second two days and she was much more sort of enthusiastic, I think. No, we haven't really got into it, actually. Often she herself went, went out of the event. And in fact, she was banging the drum for Mark Selby at a very early stage. Now, you might think, well, Mark's a great player, which he is, but it wouldn't necessarily leap out at you that the shootout is kind of akin to Mark's kind of talents in a way and, and, and way of playing the game. But in fact, he's not been in it very often, Selby. He's not entered it very often, but I think he'll enter it more often now. I know, you, as you mentioned you know, he really wanted the ranking points and he entered it because it was part of the Bet Victor series and wanted to have the points for that as well. But he seemed to enjoy it as it as it went along. I know it ended badly for him losing the final and losing the potential chance of of that run. But 
you know, a few of the big names did really well. And actually, you, your Matthew Stevens point reminds me that Mark Williams was talking about how nervous he was early on. Mm. He's not a guy that gets nervous very often. So it just shows that not only does behind closed doors snooker still have that weight and importance and ability to make players feel nervous, but so maybe does this format. And even for someone like Mark Williams, who's been playing snooker for decades at the highest level, can still get affected by an event like this. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Quite a lot of players said that. Um, Williams was the most eye-catching because, as you say, he's, he's not a nerve, <laughs> doesn't feel the nerves normally. But I guess it's just it's so out of their comfort zone, isn't it? You know, he's, he's been playing, as you say, he's been playing for decades, but probably you know count on one hand how many times he plays in this situation. So even without the crowd, it's very unusual. Um, but yeah, it was a number of players said how nervy they were. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the one, the one, uh, one error and you're going home thing, isn't it? Like you can't afford it. So it is a nerve-wracking situation. Um, yeah, I agree about Selby. I, I quite liked how he was sort of put. He almost Selbyed his way to the tournament. And I, I like how players, even in this sort of, you know, people saying it's a lottery, and it's not because a lottery is random. And clearly, um, I spoke to Michael Holt before it happened, before the tournament started, and he said, "I think anyone can win a match, but not anyone can win the tournament." And I think that's a fair way of saying it. You know, one frame might be not random, but a bit of a lottery, but the tournament isn't. And Selby, yeah, Selby nearly put his own stamp on it all the way to the trophy. And McManus had a game, his first round game. That was the one where Neil Foles described him as tight as a submarine when he got a lead and then started playing safe and um, very sensible. And that was very angles frame, uh, frame as well. So I did enjoy how, yeah, the players were, you can, you can still let your style um, shine through even in this situation. Yeah, I mean, players do funny things, don't they, in the shootout? I mean, that's probably an obvious thing to say, but there was one match, I can't remember, it was, I think it was on the day three, when there was a pink right over the pocket with about 30 seconds left, and the player elected to go to the other end and play the green. It might have been David Hendon on commentary, I think. Why didn't he put the pink in? You know, it just, you know, it is important when you've got a few points ahead to, to protect it, of course, because... It sounds silly, but even three or four points can mean two pots, and sometimes it's just not enough time. So it's, you're always playing the clock. But yeah, they just, I mean, again, I'm always wary of the old armchair thing, easy from the armchair. And maybe this is, you know, it's magnified with a shootout because, you know, we're sitting at home enjoying this entertainment. They're having to deal with the clock, the pressure, the, you know, the, the table, and it's hard. But yeah, you do see some, you know, Barking mad shot choices. I think Rod Lawler kind of played a bit of a weird shot, and I forgot who came back to beat him actually, very dramatically. But he he kind of the, the, his opponent had to had to like get six seven pots to win it, and you'd have thought yeah. Rod, with his experience, would look to sort of play a bit of a safety kind of shot, but he went for one, missed, and then he ended up losing. And it oh, it's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? It's just so it's so sort of random and. And, and for these guys that have been playing forever, like Rod Lawler, uh, you know, a certain type of snooker, it must be even harder in a way because, you know, you're, right, you're into the lion's den, aren't you? And it's so rare as well. It's not like, you know, you, oh, you, you did it a month ago. You know, 12 months ago since you last played the shootout, it's a long time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was Liam Highfield who cleared up. That's I think he made a 50 even to beat him. Um, yeah, that was great. Um, and yeah, Ken Doherty was another one who was... Um, ahead with a couple of minutes to go 
and then went in off off the blue, didn't he, against um, Nopon. And, you know, Crafty Ken, of all people, Crafty Ken to make a daft decision like that at the end can happen to anyone. Um, there was that one, um, Sahel Vahidi, who got himself in a good position. He just needed to pink, pot the pink, which was a reasonably straightforward shot with uh, 10 seconds or so left. And he missed it, which can happen. But then he looked at the board and I tweeted about it afterwards and he replied saying he didn't realise, he thought he was further behind than he was. So he thought he only had time to pot the pink, but it would have still left him out. So he obviously didn't put in a full effort to put, pot the pink because he thought it didn't really matter. Missed it and then realised that potting it would have won it for him. So, yeah, I mean, all sorts of crazy things can happen. And those guys down, that's another part of the ranking event nature of it. You know, guys like Vahidi down that end of the rankings, they don't win many matches all year. So um, a handful of wins for those guys is very important. So um, while it can be a bit of a giggle for the guys higher up, you know, even... even Few hundred quid, a couple of grand is uh, is crucial for the guys doing the bottom of the rankings. Very much so. Two things there. First of all, how lovely that players can can uh, kind of answer uh, journalists and fans like that. It's a great thing about the sport, isn't it? You don't get that from many other sports. I can tell you that. I love that level yeah. of that level of um, communication that we can have. And snooker players are very amenable like that. Which again, a topic for another day, I'm sure. But it makes it doubly sad in a way when some of them have to leave social media mm-hmm. because of some of the abuse or, you know, awful time they get from some people on there because you think, well, actually a lot of them are very amenable and it's great to have them on there talking about the game and sharing their views, you know, but as I say, that's a topic probably for another time. Um, the other thing I'll just go back to, it. I, I, I like your use of the verb cell bead. It reminded me <laughs> of Quite some months ago now, I said we should set up a load of snooker verbs. Uh, to Higgins and other, to, he, he Higgins his way to victory. We all know what that means with these people. Yeah. Uh, one day we need to get a list of those. Uh, and it, if you've got a few of those, maybe snooker verbs, do get in contact with us. Tweet us at uh, Talking Snooker or email us at talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. But to sum up on the shootout, we enjoyed it, didn't we, Phil? Perhaps, perhaps we don't want it more than once a year. It, you know, that, that, that's enough. But I think if we, if we didn't have it now, I think we'd miss it, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. I've said a few times I'm a big fan of it. They did have that discussion at the end saying how popular it was. Andy and Rianne were talking about it. And I was thinking, no, don't, don't give it as any more. I like it as it is, but um, <laughs> it's great as novelty. I don't, I, don't want it to, I don't want them to get ahead of themselves and think, oh, it's done really well in the viewing figures or whatever and put it on more, more than once. I think it's perfect as it is where it is on the calendar. Um, and uh, the, only, the only complaint I've got on it, and that's only because I watched so many of the matches, was the beep, the beeps. Um, I don't know if they can make them sound nicer or <laughs> try something different. But at one point, because I had it on the TV and I had it on my laptop, um, I got banished to go and watch it on my laptop with my headphones on upstairs because my girlfriend was sick of hearing those beeps. <laughs> and, and by the Sunday... Every, every time it got to them, it was a bit like, har- I've got a bit of a twitch. It was a bit harrowing. There's so many. Um, so if they could change those beeps to something else, that'd be nice. Um, but otherwise, it was great. I know I know there were a few complaints about the fake crowd noise on Twitter, but I didn't mind it. I don't know. I thought that was fine. I thought they, that was a, about as good as they could do with that. So it was a tricky task for them, but um, I didn't mind the fake crowd noise. But yeah, great tournament all in all. Um, good to see some new faces, some faces that 
I mean, literally people didn't have any idea about. I mentioned Ian Martin before, that was a great story. Um, and again, he got, he got in contact on Twitter because I dug out a 147 that he made in the Berry League. So, um, lovely little stories. Um, and yeah, great tournament, good winner. Enjoyed it. Yeah, guys that are so rarely on television, that, that's such a good way of saying it. And they had their moment in the sun. And it, it's bang, bang, bang. It's constant action. Kept us really entertained for four days. And as we said at the top, this was a, a, a tough market this weekend gone. But there was so much marvellous sport. And it was a weekend when double screening or even triple screening came into its own. But snooker uh, did keep up its share of the market, I think, with some really entertaining action. We thoroughly enjoyed it. But there's, there's, no, time for, there's no time to rest with these modern snooker calendars we know that and we're straight away back in with the championship league this week I know we both had a look over the schedule uh, before it started it has now got underway and we're like wait a sec this is a who's who of snooker this week isn't it we've got some some marvellous names playing this week in the championship league yeah absolutely we we had a little pre-pod chat and we're like oh yeah that's on let's have a look who's playing I know I had not realised that it was quite as high quality as it is. Uh, I'll have to run through it. Judd Trump, Kyron Wilson, Tom Ford, Lutowski, Hawkins, Selby and uh, Mark Williams in the in the group over Monday and Tuesday. And Ronnie joins in on uh, Wednesday and Thursday with Ali Carter and Joe Perry. And Friday and Saturday group, we've got um, Dave Gilbert, Anthony McGill and Liang Wenbo joining in. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a low-key event, really. Um, not Not one that stands out on the calendar, but... Got all the big names there, and um, the bit I've seen today been some really good quality as well. And there's been a, a century record being made. Yes, Judd Trump um, equaled Stephen Hendry's century record, which I've not got in front of me, but I think it was seven seven five. I'm pretty sure on that, um, which is yeah, remarkable stuff. And he's going to go a long way past that. And there was an interview he did about a year ago, maybe, and he. He'd sort of got two and a half thousand in his head then for what he was aiming at. <laughs> I don't know if he's still thinking that, but you wouldn't bet against him. Um, so, yeah, he just keeps racking him up. Very good from him. It is. And he's one of those that it sounds silly because you think, well, all players want to make centuries. But a few, it, it's not quite as... But I think Mark Williams is one, isn't it? That he's, he's one of frame. He's not that bothered. I think that's why his numbers are relatively low compared to the other greats. But Judd's one of those that wants to carry on and make them all the time. Neil Robertson, of course, another Ronnie... And um, yeah, again, well, I, keep, I keep saying we've got a topic for another day. We've got, we've got a lot of another days being built up here, Phil. But it's an interesting debate about centuries. Um, I think it's something I've heard on, on, on Snooker Scene podcast before, actually. And, and the consensus on there is one that I think I tend to agree with, that we might make a little bit too much of centuries, in my, in my opinion, um, in snooker. They're nice stats, but they only win you one frame. But... But listen, when we're talking about the numbers that Judd's getting to, it's it's absolutely spectacular, isn't it? And and uh, you know he he's he's one day going to join Ronnie on that special landmark, isn't he? No question about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, in the not too distant future. I know what you mean because it, it would get too messy, but it should really be like frame winning breaks would make more sense because you know an eighty is worth as much as a hundred um, in very pure sort of. Um, ruthless terms. It, um, it's not as fancy. It's not as fun to watch. But you know, it, that's one year the frame as much as much century as. And as you say, Mark Williams. Um, I don't know how much of this is something he says as an excuse for not making as many centuries. But that is always said about Williams. 
he always wins the frame. He's not that fussed about going on much further. Um, so, yeah, I, I do get the point about they're overplayed a bit because after a certain point, it's just for show. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a spectator, spectator sport. So we like the showmanship. Yeah, no, definitely true. Uh, the aforementioned Williams reminds me of a, of a frame like a... Remember the frame that Higgins won to go 17-16 in the world final? Williams eventually won the next. But I think Williams missed match ball. Might have been a pink, I think. Uh, pink along the cushion. I think it might well have been. And Higgins cleared up. Now, that must have been, what, 70-odd. But it was one of the most magnificent breaks under pressure you could ever wish for. And again, you sort of said it there, but that, that's worth far more than a sort of hundred where a guy's won the frame quite easily. He's potting balls for fun, you know, but that's the nature of the game. But you can get some, some 60 or 70 breaks. I mean, of course, um, another legendary one would be the Alex Higgins against Jimmy in the world semi in 82. I mean, one of the best breaks you'll ever see. And I've forgotten how many that, that was in the end, but obviously it wasn't a century, but, but there we are. It's, um, that's, that's a, again, something for us to talk about in future, an interesting debate there about centuries. Phil? That, that, was the pure, that was the prime Higgins example that you mentioned before. That was, that was pure Higgins. He Higgins did he? He, he, he? he did. He, and yes, no doubt Jimmy jimmied uh, Alex at times. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, we, we, I'm a big fan of those verbs. We'll get more of those coming in, hopefully, from our, from our listeners. The next big event on the calendar is the Welsh Open, actually, which starts next week, which I, I really like the Welsh. I'm, I'm very fond of the Welsh. It's got a, a, a decent, decent history now. Um, funny enough, I, I laugh when I saw the 92 year, because we, we often joke in football that, you know, football started in 92, but that's kind of in a <laughs> sneering way, you know, in that that's sometimes what Sky and others will portray, but of course football had a long, long history before 92. But the Welsh Open uh, snooker literally started in 92. And I, and I really like it. It's been quite nomadic over the years. It hasn't quite had a fixed venue. Uh, it's gone from place to place. It's been in Cardiff. It's been in Newport. It's in Newport again this year, of course, at Celtic Manor. But I guess this time we're really welcoming the new venue, Phil, because we're nothing against Milton Keynes. has been a great servant. But we're finally going somewhere new. And you, sir are going to be among those going there. Yeah, really looking forward to it. It's the first one I've been to all season. Not not made the, the pilgrimage to the new home of Snooker in Milton Keynes yet. Um, but yeah, I jumped at the chance to go to go to Celtic Manor when it when it emerged. Um, yeah, so I feel very lucky to be able to do that. Getting in the bubble, be there all week. So yeah, that'll be fun, hopefully. Get some good stories out of that. Um, but yeah, I guess 1992, um, it's a long time for one tournament to... You know, you said it's moved around, but, you know, just kept the same name and been a major tournament that whole time. I mentioned it a few times, other than the sort of the major three, a lot of the other tournaments move about in terms of they, they change the names, move around on the calendar. This one has moved on the calendar a little bit. Um, go ranking, non-ranking, you know, there's quite a lot of chopping and changing with tournaments, but the Welsh has uh, always been a big one. And, I mean, just by looking at the, the winner's reel, it's, a, it's an incredible list of players. It's nearly all world champions. And if it's not a world champion, it's one of those players that you think could have won a world championship. Um, so, yeah, undoubtedly the biggest of the four home nations events. And uh, one of the biggest ones outside of the, the Triple Crowns. I've been a bit sneaky. I've looked up the Judd Trump centuries. You, I think you said 775, bang on the money, Bill Hay. Right, good. 
and uh, and a line here that he'd done it at 31. Ronnie was 39 when he got there. There's more opportunities to play now, of course, but still, mm. that's that's quite something. Yes, and the thing about the Welsh is, I think it's probably an obvious thing because of that history. It it feels like the most important of the four home nations, doesn't it? It, you know, the English is is good. It hasn't quite found a home yet. Northern Ireland and Scottish have given us great stories. Um, thinking about Mark King within Northern Ireland, uh, but this is kind of has that extra prestige. And well, I mean, I've already used the phrase "who's who" uh, during this podcast, but the list of winners. I mean, you, you know, you you don't get bad winners of the Welsh. You don't really get bad finals either. But bad finalists, you know, you, you, well, no one's bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is top level. These are top level winners every year, aren't they? Aren't they, Phil? It's a great roll call of honour. Great roll roll honour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's the one or two sort of out in the blue finalists, I guess. Ben Williston, not too long ago, did very well to reach the final. Um, Joe Swale, forget when that was, 2009, something like that. Um, so, yeah, but other than that, you know, it's <laughs> it's real high quality. Um, and something else about I like about a tournament that um, when, it, when it gets a lot of prestige is a very notable, um, recognisable trophy. Got to think about trophies. And... Mm. Uh, the Welsh bit of slate is a uh, is a very nice looking one, and uh, um, one that I'm sure the players uh, really treasure. Yeah, you're a big trophy man. I'm a big venues man, so I'm I'm pleased. And of course, Celtic Manor has a bit of a, a, a of a good sporting history because a, a memorable recent Ryder Cup was was held there. One of Europe's famous wins against America. So I I like it when when events go to places where it's hosted other sporting sort of festivals and this is a real example of that uh, of course no fans we can't wait for them to come back it, it will still be behind closed doors but it'll be a different set a uh, different setup and it'll be yeah really pleasing on the eye in that sense I think having had so many months of watching uh, snooker at Milton Keynes um, well it's, it's that man isn't it Phil can, can anybody stop Judd Trump I mean you know he just goes from strength to strength it's, it's four ranking events now this season isn't it I mean you sometimes think, oh, best of best of sevens, you know, it's, you're bound to get a few shocks along the way. You sort of do, but then you still get these real top players time and time again battling through to the closing stages of these events. And Trump's got that stature now that, you know, again, he like any event, he's the man to beat. Yeah, for sure. And he's he's not won this. And I know full well that he he's looking to tick them all off. Like he wants to, he's taking names. And uh, this will be near the top of the list of ones, um, tournaments he's not won that he wants to get a hold of. Um, nice bit of practice in the Championship League to get sharp against some top players. Yeah, uh, it would be a brave man to bet against him. But uh, it's a lot of lot of games, short format games, so he's not nailed on, but he's, he's, he's favourite like he is for every tournament he plays in, really. Um, yeah, very. he's going to be tough to beat. And it's the usual sort of suspects, isn't it, really? The guys that we're seeing time and time again get to the latter stages of events. And, you know, we'll, again, we'll, we'll really enjoy it. It's, it's a week of top action. It's, it's on Eurosport. Their coverage is, is very good. The home nations has got that kind of... I say the Welsh is the biggest, but because it's kind of that series now, 
it does all sort of fit together quite nicely. It's been a really nice addition to the calendar, I think. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's on the BBC as well, isn't it, in Wales, and people will see it on the iPlayer. And again, that's kind of, it's not the BBC network coverage, but again, that gives it an extra sort of dimension. And it's, and it's perhaps because it's older, I guess, it's, it's kind of more associated with Welshness, I think, than kind of the Scottish with the, the Scots and Northern Ireland with, with, with Ireland, the island of Ireland. And, and, and if you get my drift, it's normally Welsh commentators you hear, certainly on the BBC, Welsh pundits. There's a real kind of... And I think Mark Williams is the only Welsh winner, isn't he? Uh, actually, of Yeah, it. that's right. So, so that, you know, there's such a sort of incentive for, for the Welsh guys to do well there, isn't there? Perhaps... Perhaps more than the others. I know we have that Mark Allen thing going in Northern Ireland. He hasn't done so well over the years there. Higgins got to the final in Scotland and really wanted to go one further and win it. But you get the feeling that this is kind of a real national event for you know for, for the Welsh players, and wouldn't one of them love to go all the way? Yeah, I know what you mean. I think that is true, and it, and it makes it extra special that they managed to get it back to Wales um, rather than being stuck in England. I'm sure. I'm sure no Welsh person would have wanted to see the Welsh Open playing stage in England. Um, and that is brought up every year. I mean, it is made a big fuss that Williams is the only one to win it. Um, you know, there haven't been loads of Welsh ranking event winners out over the last 20 years. So it's not like they've had loads of chances and failed. But yeah, whoever has a chance would love to do that. Um, there's, there's a decent amount of maximum has been made there. Um, I had a look, there's been nine, which is decent rate for maximums in one event. And um, there was one last year, Karen Wilson. There was two the year before. Obviously, that famous Ronnie one in the final against Ding. Um, so, you know, if you're looking out for maximums, this isn't the worst tournament to keep an eye on. Did Ronnie make that to win it? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, final frame, yeah. That was, I mean, that he was... one of the best shots ever as well, isn't it? Yeah, that was, that was a proper snooker moment, wasn't it? That was, wow, this is a special, special moment. And, yeah, the, the, the Welsh can do that. It can, it, can, it, can, it can produce those very, very special finals, actually. And uh, this is one. Did, did Selby come back against Ronnie? Was that in the Welsh? What, one of the really early ones. And it was one of those examples where uh, sort of Selby showed against Ronnie. I might look that up when you next talk, actually. So I, don't, I like to get these things fixed in my mind. Yeah, it was, it was, um, there was a 9-8 final between those two, wasn't it? Selby won yeah, it. That, that might yeah. have been the 5-1 then. And that, that was almost, I don't know if that was the start of the, of the, the Brinkmanship thing with Selby, but it's one that's often talked about as... Hmm. as both Selby never giving up in matches and also not really being phased by Ronnie, which is a, a lot of those kind of, you know, big players are, frankly. Even the top players are kind of phased by Ronnie, but Selby never has been. And so, it, yeah, the Welsh has that sort of rich seam of sort of lovely stories and, and memories. And I know a lot of snooker fans actually love attending the Welsh. I've seen this a few times from from guys that, that would go to kind of, you know, maybe three or four events a season. They'll obviously try and make it to the Crucible, maybe the UK and the Masters. But if they picked one other, uh, it, it might well be this, because it's a chance to go, I mean, recent years to the Capital, but now to, you know, or, or to Newport in the past. And, you know, it, they really like travelling to this one. I think that gives it an atmosphere of its own as well. Yeah, I mean, that... the. The crowd is always talked about a very knowledgeable crowd down there. Um, obviously, it's been a hotbed sort of South Wales over the years for top players. A lot of a lot of very good players coming from a very small area, um, so they do love it down there. Um, 
I meant I forgot to mention when you were mentioning the BBC coverage. Um, I don't know if they'll get Terry Griffiths on, but hopefully, I always love hearing from him. Got such a wonderful voice. Um, obviously, knows everything about the game. Very funny. Um, so yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, yeah, the crowd and the, the fans down there always get um, very well regarded. So yeah, I can see. Well, I've never been myself, but this will be my debut. But very much looking forward to it. It's a shame there won't be any fans there. Yeah, I mean Terry Griffiths is a soothing balm, isn't he? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's, it's 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 for the soul that to hear Terry wax lyrical about the game is is a is a lovely thing. I remember once um, sitting in the uh, the eating area at, at the, uh, the canteen, I suppose you'd say, at the Crucible, and there were a few ladies there that have been in the Crucible a, lot, a long time. They were showing a nostalgic programme on the BBC and a very young Ronnie and Steve Davis and different people. And they'd obviously been there for decades. And I said, oh, ladies, you know, who's the nice? who's been the nicest? And they all said, oh, Terry. Oh, oh, Terry, not even close. The nicest <laughs> man, the one they all, they, the one they've all cherished most over the years in meeting and and to see in chapter has been Terry, which I thought I thought said a lot that you know. Yeah, I mean they always say you know it's pe- you can tell a lot by people who uh, are nice to people who you get nothing out of. You know, I don't, that's not the exact same, but you know what I mean. And I'm sure <laughs> Terry does seem like the bloke, the kind of bloke who's nice to everyone, very friendly bloke, and. Uh, yeah, such a such a dry sense of humour. You're not always sure he's made a joke until a couple of seconds afterwards, and you find yourself chuckling. It's yeah. Like, yeah, that was a little gag that he slipped in there. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, that reminds me. I've just looked it up because there's a very nice program actually from 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 BBC Radio Wales, uh, which I listened to uh, probably a few months ago now, but I really enjoyed it, and it's available on the BBC Sounds app. It's called Titans of the Bays. Uh, Wales snooker obsession and it's Mike Bubbins the comedian who presents it and it's really good Ray Reardon features a lot but a lot of the Welsh star I think Dominic Dale's on there a uh, few others as well Darren Morgan and it's a really nice program it talks about the sort of the, the Welsh love affair with snooker really and I I just I guess I didn't realise quite how many clubs there used to be in Wales at one time and just what a sort of popular pastime it had been obviously it's you know, Wells has produced some great, great champions. So really nice listen there. And we really is that, on, is that a podcast you say? I've not heard of that. That sounds great. No, it's very good. It's a BBC Radio Wales program, actually. Yeah. And it, it I think it was on the actual station a few months ago, but it's still on the on the BBC Sounds app. It's about half an hour long and it's yeah, it's really nice actually, a nice sort of guide to and I, and I, and I love those sort of individual kind of you know, countries and and even parts of the country, like you you hear about the northwest or mm. uh, you know the, the great tradition in Scotland. I, I love that. I love you know those great sort of tales of the clubs there, and and that, that's one of the sad things we're missing, of course, because so many clubs closing up and down the country. But but yeah, it's um and it, it's a different sort of thing. But thinking about Northern Ireland, where Mark Hallam won the Masters, it was so emotional, wasn't it? Because it just made you think of Alex Higgins. There was that kind mm. of, it was the ghost of Alex, wasn't it really that night? And um, when you, that's the beauty of having these great stars from former generations and then people from the same part of the world succeeding now. It's lovely. I hope I'm not waxing too lyrical here, Phil. I'm not getting too romantic. I know you, I, I someone's expected to tell me off when I get too romantic, but you know what I mean? 
when you get those players from the past and players from now, it's a lovely sort of, when they mix together, it's a really nice sort of nice moment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with the sort of the areas and not just in Stuka in all sports, you know, I became a bit obsessed with Cuban boxing a few years ago, read a lot about that and been over there as well. Popped into a gym to see people do it, even had a little boxing lesson myself with a Cuban. It's just a national obsession. I, I like how certain parts of the world and parts of countries, as you say, just become obsessed with things. And you know, when those guys do well from there, it means so much to them because they've got the whole, the whole uh, nation or whole um, area, or whatever, behind them. And uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting thing how things, how certain sports develop in certain areas. Well, Phil, you, you slipped in a hell of a story there, uh, popping into <laughs> a Cuban gym and getting a, a getting a boxing lesson. That's a, you know, what are we fifty odd minutes into the podcast and you hit us with a story like that? that <laughs> That's an, that's an excellent effort. While we're talking about plugging things, our Talking Snooker Twitter page, uh, we put another photo up uh, earlier today, actually. A wonderful photo of the late Willie Thorne in 1976 outside a snooker club. It really is a, a special one. We're asking for your memories, if you wouldn't mind sharing sharing them with us. We'd love to hear uh, from you. And, uh, well, we, we got one from Dave Tindall up. I had to say that is that the famous day Tyndall that's <laughs> this, no, the big star on the snooker scene podcast these days. He's doing a bit of a bit of moonlighting there, and he sent us a very nice uh, picture of Peter Lyons' shirt from a past event on display in the Northern Snooker Centre in Leeds, which is a, a very famous snooker club. And uh, well, this is Dave showing off here in a big way. Look at this. He gave me my first ever lesson on his table, and twenty minutes later. I knocked in my best ever break, an 82. Oh, no, I'm pretty honestly, um, yeah, it is. I, I, you know, Dave's a friend now, I, th- I think it's fair to say. We've we bonded over snooker and various other matters in life. So, no, I'm pleased for you, really, Dave. I don't mean to cast uh, any kind of negative thing on that. It's a, it's a brilliant effort. I, I'd love to make 22, Phil, frankly. <laughs> and big up to Peter Lyons, obviously a superb coach. I'm not sure what Dave's highest break was before, but if he's had one lesson and he's knocking in 80s, then... Peter obviously knows what he's doing. I think he's good, but I, I, yeah, I bet he's a hell of a coach. Actually, he's, he's a he's a very nice voice, actually, isn't he? In, in recent times, you know, and um, it, it, it came up with one of the lines that still makes me laugh. Sorry, no no, no pun intended there. Um, <laughs> when he when he when, <laughs> I don't know who he was commentating alongside. Now, I guess it was probably either uh, Mister Studd or Mister Hendon, and um, he said something like, "Oh." You, well, we never miss one from up. We've never missed a shot from up here. And Peter said, "Oh, I still miss them from up here. I can miss them <laughs> anywhere. Still miss them from the commentary box." A lovely way of saying it. But um, now, next time we're speaking, Phil, you'll be at Celtic Manor, which will be lovely because we'll be able to hear a little bit about the early stages of, of, of how you're finding the Welsh Open, the whole experience of being at an event. We're also going to catch up with various um, emails and and tweets and all the correspondence we've had coming into us. We've had plenty, and thank you for that. Keep them coming at Talking Snooker at our Twitter page or talkingsnook at yahoo.com on email. And we look forward to doing that because we will give it some time. And we've had some really interesting thoughts uh, in actually one of them, just a, a bit of a preview, is to talk a little bit about the shootout and whether we'd incorporate anything particularly from that. And that one thing, perhaps we, before we go this time, we'll, which I know we both sort of mentioned, the lag's not a bad idea, is it? I, I, I quite like watching the lag, really. And, and maybe, you know, 
in place of just tossing a coin, which is obviously just pure luck, maybe that that might be a nice way. Yeah, I agree. I, I'd, I'd watched the lags and always thought, oh, it's quite an interesting start to the, to the game. And I think it might have been Neil Foles that mentioned, I'll oh, maybe turn that into, you know, use that more regularly. And I, I hadn't actually put two and two together on that. But as soon as he said it, I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's a bit of skill rather than complete chance and uh, a bit of drama. And a couple of funny ones as well. There was one, one I can't remember who it was now. I don't want to name and shame the wrong person, but someone had come off both cushions and was back past the blue spot for the second time with a head lag. It was so bad. But that was a bit of entertainment in itself. Yeah, they're going to have to be, you know, if they did do it for an event, though, they're going to have to be a little bit more precise because a couple of them were like, oh, it's a dead heat. I was like, well, I wouldn't mind seeing that again, you know. Yeah. What, what I thought what they, that would be perfect is that, you know when they used to get that little sort of measuring tape out in the bowls when when all when mm. see I thought that that would be perfect I think to maybe use one of those to see which was which had won but no I thought it was a nice idea we'll come up with more no doubt um when we when we address all your emails and tweets next week any more pressing issues Phil or should we say a fond farewell I don't think so no we've covered it all that I had on my list there that was very good enjoyable and uh, yeah. Going to watch this Championship League this week and enjoy that and get ready for the Welsh. Indeed. Snooker uh, keeps coming and we're most grateful for it. And, uh, well, the, 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 the beautiful thing to say, Phil, is it's only actually just over two months now until Sheffield, at least we hope it's Sheffield, for the world qualifiers. No reason to think it won't be Sheffield after we, we had it there last year. And then the Crucible, which it, it feels weird, doesn't it? Because we had it in the summer last year. I mean, I mean, time goes very quickly anyway when you get older, of course. But but it just feels like, really, can it be that soon? But again, you know, it, it's creeping up, isn't it? Yeah, I, I thought the same, how, how, how soon it is. And how, how few tournaments there are left um, in the race to the, the 16 and just to get some form. Um, actually, I should have mentioned the Welsh. That's another subplot of that, which it seems to be in every tournament now people will be looking to get into the Players' Championship and the top 16 on the one-year ranking list. Um, so there's there's options for plenty of players to do that if they go um, quarterfinals or onwards, really. So that's a, that's another interesting subplot. I, f- I find it a bit, when, when you're talking about one tournament, it doesn't want to be too much about, oh, you should do well in there to get in the next one because it's a bit dis- disrespectful to that event, if you see what I mean. But um, that that is important because they're players. I think it's 125 grand for the winner of that. So well worth getting in. And that's the 16, isn't it? So we've still got the big 16 mm. and the big eight tournaments to come as well on ITV. So, so much to look forward to. And actually, that's sub. We will, we will go eventually, folks. I promise you, we're, we're going to go very soon. <laughs> st- I'm still thinking, still thinking of, of, of things as we, as we come along. And that subplot thing, you know, is a. I think it. I think it was Phil Yates that I was I was chatting to a few years ago. The brilliant Phil Yates, absolutely marvelous, marvelous snooker journalist, voice of snooker for. For decades, and and he was saying he loved the the subplots thing, and I know Phil covers a lot of golf and watches a lot of golf, and you know I I think Barry Hearn, I don't think it's any secret to, to say that a lot of the things he's done, he's kind of modelled it a lot on golf, and that subplot thing is very big in that sport, and no, you're absolutely right, it it, it mustn't just be about what's happening to come, it must also be about focusing on the tournament, but that's a nice little offshoot of having so many tournaments and so many stories now that you do have those those kind of subplots and it's a it's a it's a thing that really works in golf and maybe to some extent tennis and I think it works in in, in snooker now as well because 
we're, we're always looking at the one-year list, you know, the main ranking list, who's going to get in the World Championship will have to qualify, who's going to get any ITV events. And it, it's kind of nice, isn't it? Because it, it, it's so much more for fans to, to hook into. And it's all about hooks, isn't it, sport, when you're keeping, even, you know, committed fans like us, you know, on side or the new fans. It's all about these little hooks, isn't it? Yeah, I think that was happened at the shootout as well with getting a place in the champion champions and being part of that Beck Victor series. You know, there's there's an awful lot going on. I th- and I think also, going, if we go right back to the start now, it's a nice circle we've created. But um, I mean, I think that was a, a reason why you could not make it a ranking event and people would still play because the prize money is good. Plus the champion and champions, plus the Beck Victor series, you know, there's plenty on the line without having to be a ranking event in that, that tournament. Indeed, indeed. And... Uh... And that's a, such a lovely thing about, about snooker. There's, there, there's so many things to, to sort of keep you entertained. And we will look forward to the rest of the Championship League this week. Lots of big names in action. And then the Welsh Open, which is always, as I say, one of the most eagerly awaited events of the snooker season. Do keep your thoughts coming into us. Tweet at Talking Snooker. And please do look at our Twitter page. We'd love to, to, to have your thoughts there. Anything about you want to say about snooker your opinions tell us we're right tell us we're wrong all okay and indeed to email talking snooker at yahoo.com we had a few emails in we'll talk about them in detail next week uh, but for now phil i think we'll say our goodbye so uh, from you sir thank you for your company now my pleasure thanks for having me and thanks everyone for listening we really do appreciate it so i'll speak to you next week indeed uh, thank you for listening good to have you there wherever you are and for now it's uh, cheerio Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.